Good morning, Sam Alliance. Uh, I'm flooded with a sense of um, nostalgia and deep feelings of affection as I get to come and be with you all weekend. Um, it's what a thrill it is for me to be here. I, um, I'm delighted to be able to step into this series of t- uh, messages on neighboring. And um, as I begin, there's something that you need to know about me. I'm, I'm a little bit of the absent-minded type. Um, I, I can never remember where I keep things. And uh, I have this carabiner now that I can try to keep my keys intact. And in fact, just between services, I left my keys up here and Steve took my keys and I was up here right before this gathering going, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Uh, this is my uh, primary set of keys. Um, I have, uh, I, I lost them a number of months ago and they remained in a mysterious place for I think two months. Fortunately, I have a spare key and I was using that until I lost that key as well. <laughs> we have four drivers in my home, two cars, and I could not find my spare key, so my son had an engagement of some sort. And so I, I began to search the home frantically. Every pair of shorts, every pair of jeans, cupboard, dishwasher, refrigerator, garbage bin in the outside. I have found my keys at the bottom of the garbage pail. I mean, I could, I, my son, he's, his name is Grant, he's 17 years old, big kid. He's, he's like, Dad, now you've got your carabiner. Now just remember, put it on your belt loop. Don't take it off. Put it on your dresser at night. I'm like, okay, son. Okay, oh yeah, okay, I remember that. And then he goes, ah, Daddy, you're such a good boy. He comes over and he goes, ah, oh, Daddy, ah, oh, you're such a good kid. And I'm like, okay, I'll remember my keys. <laughs> have you ever lost it, your keys? You know that feeling in your, in your gut? Have, have you ever lost your wallet? And it's like, oh no, my credit cards, my cash. Uh, perhaps in the room this, this morning, there are those who have lost more important things than keys and wallets. Maybe you have a lost, wandering child somewhere out there, or a brother or a sister, or a grandchild who's wandered far from God and is engaged in very, very destructive behavior, destructive to them to themselves, destructive to others around them. If that's you, you know that ache and that pain that comes along with that. As I begin this morning, I want you to know this one thing. That pain and that feeling is how God feels about your lost friends and neighbors. He's like a desperate woman searching for a lost coin. He, he aches, he, he searches the horizon to see if his lost children might be found. And his lost children just happen to be next to you in your neighborhood. This morning, I, I, wanna, I wanna look at a passage with you. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's the master neighbor, Jesus himself. Nobody knew how to neighbor better than Jesus. In fact, uh, John 1.15 in a very popular translation that says that uh, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And in this passage, what he's being confronted by religious people, uh, some conservative, uptight people uh, saying, you're neighboring wrong, Jesus. How could you do that? And, and he teaches a couple of things about the art of neighboring. Very important, world-changing, neighborhood-changing, household-changing things. 
I want to look at that passage with you, and then I want to look at four, or excuse me, five practices involved in the art of neighboring. If you master these practices, your life will be transformed because your neighborhood will be transformed. It would be an incredible thing. So let's, let's dive into the text. Luke chapter 15, I'm speaking from verse 1, beginning there, and then we'll, we'll go through the text, and then we'll look at the five core practices together. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often or always came to listen to Jesus teach. There was something about Jesus. There was something about the way he drew people to himself. People were drawn to him. Notorious sinners. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was, he was associating with such sinful people. People who had left their husbands. People who had done drugs. People who had you know, abandoned their kids, people who had gossiped about other people, all kinds of people. He's eating, associating with such sinful people, and he's even eating with them. You can almost hear these men say to Jesus, how dare you eat with these people? So I'm looking at this, and as I'm preparing to be with you this morning, I just, I just realize there's a large room full of people and you may feel like God is very far away from you. You may come into this room and you may be covered with a sense of being ashamed for who you are, what you've done, where you've been. And I just want you to know, as we, as we, just as a sidebar, Jesus wants to associate with you. He wants to not be your acquaintance, but he wants to be your dear friend. He wants to salvage whatever has become of your life, and to completely transform it. It's why Jesus is the master neighbor. And so he looks at these religious leaders and he says, I've got a couple of stories I want to tell you. And he begins in verse 4 telling these stories. Would you follow with me? He says, listen, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness He'll leave them all to go and search for the one that is lost. And he'll search and he'll search until he finds it. Uh, Jesus is teaching us something here about neighboring. He's saying there's something that we leave, uh, we have to leave if we want to become great neighbors um, in order to find and fold God's lost children into his family. I was reminiscing about being on here, here at staff at Sam Alliance. I got to serve with Morris here. I really enjoyed it. In fact, I felt like it got to be with a world-class staff. And I remember sensing this need to, to go to Vancouver and start a new church. We moved with four families from, from the area here. We moved them all to Vancouver, Washington. And I remember like setting aside all of the relationships that I had on staff here, people who were mentoring and investing in me. And it was, it was a great loss. And then when we got to Vancouver, there was 10 adults and a, and a pile of kids and after settling in Vancouver, we looked at each other and we were spending all 10 of our relationship pennies on each other trying to settle and get, but now we were settled. We looked at each other and I remember the day I said, we all have 10 relationship pennies. We came here to find God's lost children. So I'm taking five of the pennies I've been spending in friendship with you and I'm gonna go find friends who don't know Christ. And I wanna challenge you to do the same. And we, we started a church by 
by doing the art of neighboring. We, my son, just yesterday, we're, we're starting a, a family park night, which means our neighbors and several of our friends are going to begin getting into the park every Thursday night this summer. And we were talking to my son Grant about this. And he said these words. I was so proud of him. He said, you know, maybe I need to take some pennies away from some friends and invest them in new friends who don't know Christ for park night. The art of neighboring. Comes right out of the text here. Jesus says, you leave the one to search for the one that is lost until you find it. And this shepherd, when he found this sheep, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What an honor it has been for me to sit here all weekend and hear story after story and tear up time and time again as I hear about God's reaching into somebody's life, salvaging it, and making it new. Interesting thing about heaven. Heaven, I believe, is not on the outside of creation, someplace else far, far away. Heaven is in a dimension right next to us. And when these people's lives are demonstrated with their, their allegiance to Jesus in the tank, all heaven rejoices. The angels, they watch what's happening in this room and they just, they, there's just dancing and laughter and joy and, and God smiles. His lost children are being found. Your neighbors and your friends. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house? She'll search and search through the jean pockets, everywhere, under the cupboards, in the dishwasher, until she finds it. Again, a principle for neighboring here. It, it takes intentionality. Being a good neighbor doesn't happen automatically. It means stepping outside of my, outside of my comfort zone and becoming chummy with whoever God has put next to me and saying, God has moved me into this neighborhood because of the people right around me or in the cubicle around me, wherever that might be. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors again and has another party. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Uh, commentators say it, may, it was like a tenth of her, her income. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. There is untold joy when you have uh, practiced the art of neighboring and all of a sudden, God uses you in in your small, afraid efforts to transform somebody else's life. It's a powerful thing. In fact, neighboring is God's plan for every follower of Jesus. I, I heard in the tank this morning, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna be obedient. Jesus is out in the neighborhood, and he's saying, follow me. It's the reverse of go make disciples, it's a follow me into the harvest field. As the Father has sent me to be a neighbor, I send you to neighbor well. Sam Alliance, I want you to understand something. The art of neighboring transformed the Roman Empire in about 200 years from non-Christian to Christianized. If, if you, as a, as a community of people who know Christ, learn to practice the art of neighboring well, you will transform this city. Not just through the clinic, 
but through the people's lives right next to you. So how do we do that? How do we neighbor well? You know, uh, what does that look like? I mean, I remember when I grew up, there was this very confrontational, if you don't, you know, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven kind of a, it doesn't work. There are new practices and new rhythms that we can use to introduce our neighbors, our friends, our family to Christ. And I've got five practices, and I've got them in acronym, so you can bless your neighbors. I got it right up here. So five, one, two, three, yeah, five practices. So uh, I want to walk through these practices, and as we go through them, I want you to think about which practice you can start with. Actually, it's probably good to start with the first one. Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. So uh, one of my dearest friends, he and his wife attend here at Salem Alliance Church. I talked to her on the phone yesterday. Uh, This last week, she called and she said, I've been praying for my neighbors. It's a new practice for her. She's she's trying to step into the art of neighboring with with y'all here. And she she called and said, "I, I started praying for my neighbor. And guess what happened? My neighbor called me this week, and my neighbor said, Jane, my wife is interested in rediscovering the roots of her spirituality. Could we go to church with you guys sometime soon? And all she has done is begin with prayer. Can you you feel God out in your neighborhood going, come help me find my lost children? So you begin with prayer. We've had a vacant house next to us for some time, and we, my wife and I, we would walk by, we pray, Lord, send us somebody to live here who we can love. Begin with prayer. Second thing, listen. Listen to people. Sometimes our, our first tendency is to, to do what? Begin talking, telling, saying, saying stuff. No, 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 no. Listen to people. What's going on in your world? I was just uh, prior to this gathering back with one of your worship leaders, and she said she had been listening to her, one of her neighbors, and she discovered that she is now pregnant. So after listening, she immediately knows how to serve her. Sometimes well, we listen to people, we, we just don't take the time to listen, and we, we end up just plowing right over people. I've got a, a couple in my neighborhood, Brad and Liz, they're about four blocks down, they're on my route where I walk, and uh, Brad, I, I started listening to him. He's a computer guy, techie guy, and but on the side, he loves to make jewelry. So he has a CAD program. He only downloads it for the free three months so because it's too expensive. And, but he's made jewelry, and he's ordered it. It's all come. And he's a helicopter operator, you know, high-end uh, type that you fly in the park. I don't know, remote control types. The other day, uh, he, I think he's close to Christ because he's remodeled his, his lawn and his garden. And so you can see that God's at work. You know, the second commandment in the Bible You know what that commandment is, right? The first one is to be fruitful and multiply. We've done a good job of that as a human race. I think it's a good thing. The second one is to subdue the earth. You you can always tell when somebody is close to God by how their lawn looks. I'm serious. (laughs) I mean, sometimes you walk by a person's house and you go, heathen, man, look at these. This is awful. And you know, Brad and Liz, I mean, they've done, I think they're close to Christ. And here's another reason why I know. I mean, he invited me in his backyard to show off his new landscape. He's got a nice, a beautiful katsuras and some, some nice bushes that he's put in. And 
I, I said something about the barbecue. He goes, oh, the barbecue's over there. I said, oh, it's a nice barbecue. And he said this. He said, well, you, you guys should come over and have a barbecue with us. I'm like, oh, yeah. God's at work. All I'm doing is listening. I'm learning his name. I'm listening. So I begin with prayer. Listen. The, the next one is, is, is the golden or the silver bullet. This one here if you do this one, you, you're really gaining traction or influence in your neighborhood. This one is incredible. Number three, eat. <laughs> eat with people. I'm telling you what, you could, you could eat your way right into the kingdom of God with your neighbors. You could bring back the king if you just eat with your neighbors. I'm telling you what, it moves a, an acquaintance into what? Friendship. Now we're friends. Now we're friends. And, you know, the walls go down, and you, people begin sharing their life and all kinds of... I, I don't like to have people in my home very much. I'm, I'm not naturally hospitable as a person. My wife is very hospitable, and she's been mentoring me and discipling me over the years. And, and um, more recently, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, over the years, she's had this idea of... Um, having the neighbors over for Halloween, which suited me well because um, they stay for about a half hour and then they go out trick-or-treating. So it's like, okay, for a half hour, I got these people in my house, you know, kind of a thing. Then we did these things called soup nights where we, we invite the neighbors over and say, you're busy, we're busy, we're gonna eat together, stay for an hour, but don't stay any longer. <laughs> and at about an hour 20, I go, well, it's been, you know, if you ever want somebody to leave, that... Well, it's been good. You know, sometimes people don't get the message. I remember this one couple that came over. They stayed over so late. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I started unbuttoning my shirt, and I'm going, I'm out of here. You know, kind of. So begin with prayer. Listen to people. Eat. You got 21 meals a week. You don't even have to add anything to your schedule. You'll build friendships. The, the fourth one is this. Serve. Serve. After listening, what do people really need? Then serve those needs. Uh, God answered my prayers. Um, and my hearts, my dreams, this, this vacant house sold to a builder who, who obviously was a godly man because you could see the way the craftsmanship and, and the colors. And, and then he put in this gorgeous brand new lawn. And I just thought, this guy has got to be mature in Jesus by just looking at this place. And, and um, then uh, he flipped it, and a very traumatized woman moved in. Her daughter Elizabeth and Emma, 13 and about 8, completely out of whack. Everything is messed up. She divorced her husband, bought this little house, and moved into the neighborhood. Answer to Kendra's and my prayers. Now, Kendra is hospitable and gracious as she is, Immediately takes cookies and scones. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, who's going to take care of this yard? I mean, this thing's horrible. Or it could be. If, I mean, it's, it's, it's good now, so I just kind of blindly start mowing the lawn just to, to make sure that the neighborhood value doesn't go down kind of a thing. Uh, eventually, uh, we became friends. We started eating meals together. And over time, she started asking questions about Jesus. She, Kendra shared her story. It was just a beautiful thing. She has recently said, I, 
I want to follow Jesus. I want to do that. I want to, I want to live like you guys are living. I want my family to reflect similar things to what you, we're not perfect, but we have a living relationship with Jesus and he's calling her. It's just a wonderful thing. It begins with prayer. You listen, you eat, you serve, you find that need and you meet it. And the, this final one is to, to share your story. And I've mentioned that briefly, but I want to, I want to tell you about Frank and Susie. I've got Thomas and Elizabeth. Uh, Thomas is an atheist from Denmark. His wife's an MDiv grad, runs a school. Now Mary and her girls. Right next to them was Frank and Susie. Frank's, his yard. Ugh. Sometimes in the middle of the night, because you don't want people to see it, you take your sprayer, and you go over, and you, and you just, you know, you're spraying, you're spraying stuff. I mean, he had weeds, and it's like, you don't want people to see you trimming their trees, so you go over in the middle of the night, you know what I'm saying? It's like, let's bring heaven to the neighborhood kind of a thing. And, you know, sometimes they catch you. <laughs> it's kind of a... <laughs> Frank, uh, uh, Frank and Susie, they're not married. Uh, they got pregnant uh, when they were living next to us. They have a little son, Daniel. He's now 18 months, two years old. The story's maybe a year or so old, kind of a thing. So I want you to picture Frank. Frank, um, 35-ish, a little bit of a uh, drink, a lot of beer, kind of a belly. Um, I think think he washes all his clothes all the time, all together, because they're all the same color. You know, know, (laughs) I mean, um, uh, he has this kind of a dish-dirty, reddish-brown hair that's just dreaded and matted and hanging down, tats. He's got this long red beard. His face is hidden. What you can see around his eyes is pasty white, big black circles. Frank and Susie, um, as I get to know them, Susie's a, uh, she makes uh, feather earrings and goes to markets and does that kind of a thing. And um, Frank is a businessman. Um, He has a, a, a marijuana grow operation going on in the basement. He's got, I think at the time he had like 70 plants going down there and he's got a, a little chair for his son, his disciple. And uh, he's got a big recliner. He puts his beer up there and he sits and watches everything grow and he pats his son on the head. He's got his little milk, milk thing, you know, sippy cup. So they're, they're working down there. So Frank and I end up building a, a bit of a friendship. And... Uh, so eventually, I got to this point where I, I would begin with prayer, we listened, we were eating together, I, I had served them, I mean, I had made righteous their lawn, so to speak. Um, I just stopped, I mean, Kendra stops me sometimes because I get the rakes and everything, it's like, oh, they got, they got divots, you know, that kind of stuff. And finally, it's time to share my story. Share, I want to hear his story. So we go out and we get a bite to eat together. He's reluctant. I say, hey, Frank, do you want to go hang out and get a bite to eat? And he's like, Sure. And so we go and we sit down across the table at this little restaurant and, and I said, hey, I, I would love to hear your story and I'd love to share my story with you. And, and so I'll go, I'm going to go first. And uh, so I unpack the hurts and the wounds and what Jesus has done for me and how he's transformed my life. And, and he just sits there and listens and he, he you know, it was great. And so then it was his turn and, and he just looked at me and he kind of, I said, so Tell me your story. And he was like, 
And then he kind of ducked his head down and he said, well, about age five or six, my mom and dad got a divorce. And then um, he went silent and tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, from there to about age 20, I can just say pain. I was like, wow, yeah, sorry. Um, it was meaningful. He, he shared a ton with me. Uh, several months later, I'm, we're buddies now. Um, I always initiate, and he's, he tried to learn how to. It was just a very interesting relationship, but I'm leading a church at the time uh, called Mosaic in Portland, a church that Kendra and I and some others had got together to start in the heart of Hollywood, um, the Hollywood district. And uh, one Sunday, not unlike Steve, I had a test for, for Mosaic. I had a vocabulary test based on two verses out of the, out of the book of Romans, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'll read them. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. So I took eight words, I made them into a vocabulary, and I went over to Frank and said, hey, Frank, I need, I need your help. I'm giving Mosaic this vocabulary test this, this next Sunday. And I said, I've got, I'm wondering what you think the definition of these words are. And I said, that's one of my motives. I said, honestly, the other motive is I want you to hear exactly what I think and believe about who Jesus is. He goes, sure. Next morning, he stands me up. He ends up having to do day labor stuff. Later that week, I caught up with him. We're in his backyard. Daniel's on his hip. We're out there. I got my little test. By the way, my heart started pounding hard. Anytime your heart begins to pound hard because you're stepping out in the art of neighboring, you know, you know you're, you're headed where God wants you to go. Anytime you're facing fear, by the way, do it, doing it poorly is better than doing it not at all. You know what I'm saying? So I went over to him and I said, okay, Frank, I, let's go through these words. First one, ashamed. We talked about the idea of shame. The difference between ashamed and being and shame. There's two different things. We talked about that a little bit. We, we talked about the term gospel. I said, Frank, what does the word gospel mean? And Frank thought about it and he goes, God's word to man. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and his name is Jesus. And he moved into the neighborhood. We talked about that together. Uh, we talked about the word power. We talked about hydropower or atomic power. And, and then we talked about spiritual power, darkness power, and the power to transform a life. We talked about the word salvation. I said, Frank, what is salvation? And he goes, I, I hate that word. He said, that is a, it's just a terrible churchy, I just don't like it. And I said, well, and he goes, I like the word salvage. God is salvaging my life. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? I'm like, Frank, ah, okay. I said, let's go on to the next one, everyone. And Frank went, everyone, because it's pretty simple. He thought it was a trick question. What does everyone mean? He, Frank goes, 
everyone means, Daniel, he goes, everyone means everybody on earth and in all the other planets too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, all right, pretty good. <laughs> I, I tripped him up on this one because belief and faith are two of the vocabulary words. They're built off the same Greek stem, pistuo, which means to basically go all in with Jesus. Whatever Jesus asks me to do is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to hold a little bit out. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith because that's the way righteous people live. They leave all in for Jesus. So I tripped him up on that one. Then we got to the word righteous because this is the vocabulary. Righteous. I said, Frank, what does righteous mean? By the way, do you know what righteous means? Frank says righteous. He said righteousness is being 100% free of the propensity to cause evil or harm to myself or another person. I mean, the bugs on his hair stopped. I mean, every... I mean, he would pop, you know? And, and I said, Frank, who's righteous? And he said... There's none righteous. And I said, except Jesus. Because we've been talking about faith and power and belief and all these, we've been talking about it all. I said, except Jesus. I said, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the conduit through which the righteousness of God flows and is a gift to us so that when God sees us, he sees us as righteous because Jesus is. Frank goes, dude, you could take that on the road. <laughs> He's like, that's incredible. He said, you could start these seminars across the country and you could take that on the road. It's the first, I mean, he had heard the beauty of what Jesus is all about, the master neighbor. Sam Alliance, I, I want you to know um, our country is in an exponential decline in terms of people who know and trust in Jesus. If you're here in over 70, about 65% of your peers attend church. If you're 32 and below, in this city and across the country, an estimated 4% will be in church on Sunday. 65% to 4%. I think the church has lost the art of neighboring. But we can regain that. Christ is already in the neighborhood saying, follow me. I'm preparing them. Pray, listen, eat to your heart's content. Share your story. I, I'm very grateful that you would give me your attention this half hour, and I'd like to end by just uh, asking you to reflect on two questions. I sense and I know and I believe that when we talk about these kinds of things, that the very heart of God, as he seeks to, to find his lost children, and we are the church, that's our mission, is to master the art of neighboring. In this morning, stories from the t uh, tank, the songs that we have sung, the words of Christ, what is God saying to you today in this moment?
He's speaking to you. Your heart may have deep calluses on it, but you know you feel the tug. You feel it? My question to you is this. You hear the voice of God. What will you do about that this week? Which practice can you engage in this week? Success is simply this, to hear the voice of God and do what he's asking you to do. It's that simple. 